Welcome, everyone. This is Russ Galzo, Chronicles of the End Times. Thank you so much for being with me today as we continue our study in Revelation chapter 19. We're talking about the Battle of Armageddon. Before we get into that today, as I'm recording this, today is Passover, and it's also a celebration of what we call Holy Thursday, which is celebrating the Last Supper when Jesus called all his disciples together and they celebrated Passover. And of course, that's extremely significant because he is the Passover lamb. He was the Passover lamb that was going to take away the sins of the world. And it's interesting, at this table, there are so many incredible people that God is going to use, and there's also some supernatural individuals there as well. As we look around the table, we see all the 12 disciples, and with them we see the one called Judas, who is going to betray Jesus. When Jesus is sitting at the table, and he tells them that one of you is going to betray me, and Judas turned to him and says, not me, Lord. And Jesus looks at him and says, yes, you've said it. And at that time, the Bible tells us that Satan entered Judas. And there's only two places in Scripture where someone is called the son of perdition. That is Judas and the Antichrist, two people that Satan actually comes into. He looks right in the eyes of Judas, really looking right into the eyes of Satan. And he says, go do what you have to do. Now, this wasn't exactly Judas's plan as to when he was going to do this. But Jesus says, you know, I lay my life down. No one takes my life. Everything is planned out. My father has planned this out for me. I'm walking through it as he sees fit. So when he looks at Judas and he tells him, go do what you have to do, it's a command. It shows us once again that Jesus is the Lord of heaven and hell and all that is in between. Even as we discuss the term Antichrist as the devil incarnate, the one destined for destruction, Antichrist doesn't mean that he is equal with God, only he's evil. It just means he's against God, because we know there is no comparison. There is no contest between those two. God is in complete control. Jesus has control of everything. And as we go on with this study of Armageddon and then further on into the millennial reign, of Christ here on earth, we see that he's constantly in control of every detail. So today I want to take a look at the Passover in Exodus chapter 12, just a short look at what it all means and some of the correlation between the end times and this feast. So let's pick it up in chapter 12, verse 1. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron in Egypt, this month is to be for you the first month the first month of your year. Tell the whole community of Israel that on this tenth day of this month, each man is to take a lamb for his family, one for each household. And if any household is too small for the whole lamb, then he must share it with his nearest neighbor. Having taken into account the number of people there are, you are to determine the amount of lamb needed in accordance with what each person will eat. But some of the things he shares with them, they're not able to do this time like bringing in the lamb for two weeks ahead of time and taking care of it and then slaughtering it on a certain day because there's no time for that here. He wants them to get it done now. So we skip down 
to verse 21 of the same chapter. Then Moses summoned all the elders of Israel and said to them, Go at once, select the animals for your families, and slaughter the Passover lamb. Take a bunch of hyssop and dip it in the blood in the basin and put some of the blood on the top and on both sides of the door frame. Not one of you shall go out of the door of his house until morning. When the Lord goes through the land to strike down the Egyptians, he will see the blood on the top and the sides of the doorframe, and he will pass over that doorway. And he will not permit the destroyer to enter your houses and strike you down. Wow. The significance of that is amazing. Obviously, it's the blood of the lamb. And we know that Jesus is the true sacrificial lamb, and his blood saves us. Therefore, we are not subject to wrath if we have the blood of Jesus Christ upon us. So the Lord himself walked through Egypt, checking each doorway, and with him was the destroyer angel. And he withheld his hand and told that destroyer angel, not this house. And he will keep the destroyer away from you and I. In this portion of scripture, Obviously, the destroyer is a destroyer angel. He's a righteous angel. But it also has other implications of the destroyer, the devil himself, the roaring lion that goes around seeking who he may devour. He is the true destroyer. Jesus cleanses us with his precious blood, and we are acceptable to him. We are made holy through the blood of Jesus Christ. The destroyer can hassle us. We know that. that The devil hassles us. He knows that he can try to oppress us, but he can't enter us. He can't control us. We are in control because of Jesus Christ and the power of his name. And that's something we need to remember when we're praying. Yes, we can go through bad times. Yes, there, there are tough times in this world. There's no doubt. But God is with us and his blood protects us. For if God be for us, who can be against us? The scripture tells us. So I want to drop back and read something else here in this chapter that really applies to the last days. He tells them in verse 46, it says, It must be eaten inside the house. Take none of the meat outside the house. Do not break any of the bones. The whole community of Israel must celebrate it. As we know, when Jesus died on the cross, we hear the phrase that he was broken for us. Well, in the flesh, that's true but not one of his bones were broken. And that's a prophecy from way back in the time of Exodus when he tells him, don't break any of the bones of the lamb. It's a foreshadow of Jesus Christ because when he was on the cross, they drove nails through his hands and his feet. And we know that at the end, the soldier came and drew the spear through his side. Normally, as some of you may know, in a crucifixion, when it comes to the end, they go and they break the legs of those that are being crucified, speeds up the process of their death. But when they came to Jesus, they found he had already passed. And so they pierced him in the side and blood and water ran out. Just another of these tremendous details from Passover and from the instructions that the Lord gave to Moses and to the people of Israel. In chapter 13, verse 9, the Lord tells Moses, This observance will be for you like a sign on your hand and a reminder on your forehead that the law of the Lord is to be on your lips. There's no doubt that this is the reason that the Antichrist chooses to put the mark either on the hand or on the forehead of his followers. Everything he does is a mimic of what God instructs his people. When we get to the part in Revelation we've studied in the past where 
he is killed. He suffers a mortal wound, and the Antichrist dies, and they have this big funeral, you can only imagine, and the whole world is watching. After a certain period of time, Satan enters the body of the Antichrist. It's a mock resurrection, because we know that the devil cannot give life. Only God can give life. It's a poor imitation of what God can do. And it's the same way with the mark of the beast. He imitates that. And in that sense where he's mocking God, mocking the laws of God, it has been no different down through history. Every God, every false God, every demon, prince that Israel has worshipped. The Lord says in the last days that he's going to punish not only the kings of the earth, but the princes and the powers of the air as well. Our Lord is going to clean house, and that's what's coming up. And it will be no different at the Battle of Armageddon. When he descends from heaven, riding the white horse, with all the armies of heaven behind him, and all the faithful followers of Jesus Christ, coming down into the earth to rule and to reign for a thousand years. That's going to be our next podcast, as we talk about the cleaning up of this great battle, and this tremendous destruction that has gone on through the earth these last three and a half years especially, and how the Lord renews the planet and comes to rule and reign from Jerusalem. Powerful, powerful stuff. I hope that you're taking time to appreciate all the Lord has done this week as we set aside these days to meditate on all the Lord's goodness and his mercy and his love and his compassion for us. Yes, we can do it every single day and we should, but it's kind of special this week as we commemorate the death and resurrection of our Lord and the birth of the church and our own birth into the kingdom of God. So a few thoughts about this battle before we close. We're looking at Revelation 19. We're going to read from verse 11. I saw heaven standing open. There before me was a white horse, whose rider is called Faithful and True. With justice he judges and makes war. His eyes are like blazing fire, and on his head had many crowns, He had a name written on him that no one knew but he himself. He is dressed in a robe dipped in blood, and his name is the word of God. The armies of heaven were following him, riding on white horses, dressed in fine linen, white and clean. Out of his mouth came a two-edged sword, which to strike down the nations. He will rule them with an iron scepter. He treads the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God Almighty on his robe and on his thigh. He has the name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. This scripture is from Isaiah 24, verses 17 to 21. Come near, you nations. Listen, pay attention, you peoples. Let the earth hear and all that is in it, the world and all that comes out of it. The Lord is angry with all the nations. His wrath is upon all their armies. He will totally destroy them and he will give them over to slaughter. The world's armies will continue to fight from the Mount of Megiddo to Jerusalem along the Kidron Valley. That is a distance of about 180 miles. The Lord will slay them with the sword from his mouth. The sand and the soil will turn deep mud because of the great quantity of blood that will flow. Isaiah 63, verses 2 and 3 says, Why are your garments red? The answer comes back. I have trodden the winepress alone. From the nations no one was with me. I trampled them in my anger and trod them down in my wrath. This comes from Zechariah 14. It says, On that day his feet will stand on the Mount of Olives, east of Jerusalem, and the Mount of Olives will split in two from east to west, forming a great valley, with half of the mountain moving north and half moving south. You will flee from my mountain valley, 
for it will extend to Azil. You will flee as you fled from the earthquake in the days of Uzziah the king of Judah. Then the Lord my God will come, and the holy ones with him. Let's end this session with this in Revelation 19, verse 19. Then I saw the beast and the kings of the earth and their armies gathered together to make war against the rider on the horse and his army. But the beast was captured, and with him the false prophet, who had performed miraculous signs on his behalf. With these signs he deluded those who had received the mark of the beast and worshipped his image. The two of them were thrown alive into the fiery lake of burning sulfur. The rest of them were killed with the sword that came out of the mouth of the rider on the horse, and all the birds gorged themselves on the flesh. These descriptions are far from the Jesus that we see when we read the Gospels. As we look back on some of the things we've discussed in a prior podcast with the Amorites and the cup of iniquity, God giving them well over 400 years to repent and turn to him. Finally, they were destroyed by Joshua and his armies. When we look at the 430 years that Israel was held captive in slavery in Egypt, we see that God gave a lot of time for Egypt to do things differently, but they didn't. And here, as we close down on the age that we live in, God gives the world another chance. We could say, why did God pour out his wrath on the earth for all that time? So many are killed, so many suffer, but yet these are the signs. God is merciful. He gives us these signs so we can repent. He could just pull the plug at midnight tonight without any warning, but that's not what God does. God is long-suffering and gives years and years for people to repent. That goes for individuals and nations. But the end has to come, and when it does, there's no turning back. As we move past the Passover, and as we go to the crucifixion on Good Friday, and then the burial, and then the resurrection on Easter Sunday, we need to remind ourselves daily and thank the Lord for his forgiveness and his love and his mercy. One final thought. How about that murderer, that convict on the cross with him? The one that said, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus said, this day you'll be with me in paradise. What tremendous faith that man had. He was dying. Jesus was dying. People were mocking, screaming at him. It would have been a whole lot easier for him to say that on the day he rode into Jerusalem and was receiving praise and Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest. But here he was dying on the cross and with some of his last breath, he reached out to someone who was hanging on the cross next to him, being mocked and seemingly powerless. Yet he asked for forgiveness. He asked to be in Jesus' kingdom, and Jesus granted it. Even in his pain, Jesus was merciful and kind and gracious. That's the God we serve. So let's worship him together this weekend. Take some time to meditate on him, on who he is, and all that he's done, and what he means to you. This is Russ Galzel, Chronicles of the End Times. God bless. Keep looking up. The King is coming.